All right, during the break, Bob was telling us about a guy in California that brought a gun on him. So I need to hear this story. I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how these statute of limitations work, but you said you're in California like in the 90s, right? So yeah, this has been long ago. That's, that's long enough. You could talk about this one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And if in the, there's no way in hell this guy's listening. but It's 4.15 a.m. He's yeah. not awake. But if, but if he is, we're, we were cool at, at the end of it all. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, I had to let somebody go, and he had a little bit of a anger management issue, and he was working with producers and stuff, and that's why we had to make a change. And and we knew it'd be tense, and uh, so we made sure we had security somewhere in the vicinity, and so we brought the guy in. He cried hard, and you know that that made me a little bit sad. Um, but it was like we still have to do this, and. Then it was like uh, we need because he was he had a company vehicle too, um, and told him I was like, well, we need you to get your stuff out of your vehicle, give me your keys, all that stuff, and he was like, okay, well, let's go. And we you know walked out with him, and he goes, and he goes as we were walking out, he goes, man, I I was worried this was what was going to happen today, and he goes. And I, you know, he goes, I brought a gun along, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Hit pause. Uh, And I was like, all right, well. um, So I'm back inside. Yeah. So we're walking and he looks at me and he he goes, come on, man. He goes, I wasn't talking about doing anything to you. He goes, I'm talking about doing something to myself. It was kind of dark. And I was like. Let's just get the stuff out of your car. And sure enough, he goes to his car and and I goes, so that's in the car. And he goes, yeah. And I I, I go, I'm going to stay back here. Well, he opens the car, and sure enough, and th- this is not this is real. It was a, it was like a sawed-off shotgun. Oh God! So we had to at that point. I was like, nope, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I it, it, we had to get security and have him. You know, he had to be. A, he had, we had he got arrested and and. Oh God, he's he was suicidal. And then you got him arrested, but maybe maybe well, that got him some help. Maybe that got no, him time to calm the, down. The, uh, the, the, Listen, there was not a single thing that was that was fun about it. But uh, as I was telling you in the break, he and I bumped into each other like a year or two later at, at the Oscars, and he was he was so kind, and you know we hugged it out. Everything was okay, um, and it, he even said, "He goes, I'm really sorry about what happened back then." He goes, "I I needed to figure some stuff out, and you were right, and it all worked out." But man, it was a it was a scary freaking moment i mean i have to say it was like because uh, you don't you don't prepare for that stuff and by the way given what the 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 piece of uh firearms was if he had decided to use that i, I was not that far away with that with the spray of that thing i could have been it yeah. taking you down at least yeah so uh, yeah it's yeah, I got stories, man. It's been a long, I've been, I've been lucky, but that was a, that was a weird day. But uh, yeah, so again, it goes all the way back to what we were talking about with Kelly Harper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great analogy. No, but some of those girls that shoot on the court do look like sawed-off shotguns. The way it just kind of spreads yeah. out. Uh, nah, but brick, but, brick. But but firing people is that's hard stuff for and you know you can make it as impersonal as possible but it's still there's there's always complications or the chance for them and um obviously it's not going to ever get like that i would think you know if danny's got to make that kind of decision with kelly but it's it's you don't, you don't think kelly's got a sawed off shotgun in her can't time? imagine okay can't imagine i would probably bre- breach the, her her buyout but uh 
Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I feel for anybody who's got to go through that stuff in any profession whatsoever, not just as an athletic director. See, I almost disagree when it comes to the sports side of it. I don't know how many coaches have ever been fired that truly thought they were doing a good enough job. That truly thought, you know what, like, okay, this is complete BS. We're doing so good. Look at the recruiting classes. Look at the wins and losses. Like, I'm going to say the vast majority of times in his heart or her heart, the coach would say, okay, yeah, I get it. Because, like, if, if this were to happen here after the basketball season, I, I can't see any scenario where Kelly would be like, you know what, I held my end of the bargain up and we lived up to the Lady Vol standard. Because I'd imagine these coaches are self-aware. And especially in this scenario here in Knoxville, like Kelly Harper, who has been on, you know, championship teams and of course is is aware of what this program used to be and what it should be. I think in her heart she'd be like, Okay, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm hurt, I'm sad that I I, I failed, but like no hard feelings, Danny. I, I get it. I I don't disagree with that. I would say also in the in the, the industry that I have spent most of my career in there there is an adage that says uh it goes like this if you if you haven't been fired you haven't made it you know it's like because a lot of a lot of those high-ranking positions you've got to take chances they don't work often you know and things like that so it i would say that uh you're probably right i think some people that are in that spot have to look at it and not feel like, man, I, w- I was wronged. Uh, is TV similar in that? I mean, because there's a scoreboard there as well, right? Absolutely. With the ratings and, and things you can check and metrics on the backside. So I imagine you can kind of keep track of, like, how you're performing and what you're doing. Yeah, it was. it's very much that way. I mean, and it and it runs the gamut. It's, it's really um, incredibly tough for people that are in front of the camera because they're going to be linked to ratings, you know, mm-hmm. for their shows and – and then, yeah, and then the executives that make those choices to create those shows or put those shows on or program them in the schedule the proper way, whatever, they're all on the line there. And then what's going on in the industry today is absolute, like, unprecedented record numbers of people being laid off. And that's because of all the fragmentation and disruption in the industry. And that's got nothing to do with the metrics. So now it's it's moved from... It used to be more like what coaches went through um, to now. It's just like anything else, like big, you know, manufacturing or something else along those lines. Yeah, I guess sports don't really have that like layoff mentality. Like maybe we should in terms of budget cuts. Like ah, you know, uh, the, the attendance wasn't as great as we thought it was going to be, so we're going to have to let you go. Because <laughs> in in sports, of course, that comes with a big fat buyout, and the coaches get paid to fail. It's like, yeah, we're going to have to let you go. We're going to have to lay off a couple people. And, you know, I guess sometimes they just drop sports. They'll be like, hey, you know, sorry, uh, men's lacrosse team. You're you're out of here. We can't afford to keep you up anymore. But, like, yeah, there's wins and losses, and you could kind of point to that. I mean, just here at Tennessee, and the coaches we fired, I mean, by the time we actually fired coaches – it was obvious that everyone – it was obvious to everyone, and I imagine the coaches themselves, like, yeah, it was time. Like, you think Jerry Pruitt was sitting there after after 3-7 and seven and an NCAA scandal being like, man, can't believe they fired me. I'd imagine he'd be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You're like, Butch Jones, like, 
at like whatever it was, three and seven, three and eight after Missouri kicks his ass. You think he was looking around like, man, I could get this turned around? Oh, no, he might. You think he thought, you know <laughs> yeah. what, I was wrong. Yeah. It was just one bad season. If they'd have fired him like they should have after the 2016 season, he might have had a gripe. Yeah. But, like, the problem I've had in the sports world is that. Like, other industries, I think bosses have to have to make sure production doesn't dip that low. Imagine at your job if you had waited till like the rate exactly absolutely crater before you make a switch, or if you're you know if you're working at a at a restaurant you have to wait till the doors are basically getting barred up because people quit coming because the cook is spitting in the food or or messing up serving rotten ingredients. All of a sudden you lose your entire entire customer base. Okay, time to make a switch. Going to make a going to hire a new chef. Going to hire a new GM. You don't do that in other industries in sports. You always wait too long. You always wait too long to make the fire. Like I said, with Jerry Pruitt, it took three and seven in a NCAA scandal. With Butch Jones, it took three and seven, three and eight, and getting your ass kicked by Missouri and things getting rotten to the core. I, I wish, and I've, I've really been pushing for this for a long time, I wish sports would, would look at themselves as different industries and just be aware of like what certain coaches are. I maintain if they had, if you know if Butch Jones had left after 2015 or 2014, he'd have been a legend here because the recruiting was kind of stacking up, and you know you could have hired somebody to take it to a different level. If Tennessee would have you know made the tough decision to fire him in 2016, whenever you know you still had a little bit of a core here, or 2015 after you know you still had a little bit of a core here and hired somebody to take him to a different level, you don't let the program crater. In sports, you always are having to build back up from the absolute bottom. Yeah, the only I was thinking about this while you were talking too. There's, you know, it's it's true, and it's like <clears throat> one of the few times I've seen something uh, a scenario where in a lot of other institutions the coach would have gotten fired, but he didn't, and it ended up kind of working out was Mark Stoops at Kentucky because if you think back to his first couple seasons, they were they were bad, mm-hmm. um, and in this day and age, I think if this was a you know in this era, which is different, uh, I think he would have been gone, but they they stuck with him. He's probably the best, you could argue, he may be the best coach or most successful coach Kentucky's had. Bear Bryant, I know, was there at one point. but um, And we talked about that earlier in the week. That's that's the perfect place for him. But uh, I, I just think that it's very, very rare you see something like that where a university is going to stick it out with someone. And I don't know what the motivator to that was. Um, but most of the time, they – it's one. It's either one thing or the other. It's either there's an itchy trigger finger and it happens too soon, or it happens they wait too long. There's no in between. It feels like to me. You could maybe also point to. I mean, and this team just, of course, won the national championship. But I could say Michigan. Oh yeah, was a little slow on that too. But Harbaugh at least had gone twelve and one in year, or excuse me, had a had came to Michigan won double digit games at the very beginning. So like he got off to a good start, and then it just kind of. You know, cratered out, really peaking at the end of COVID, right when they went two and two and four and canceled the Ohio State game because they were afraid of that beating. And it's like, ah, hey, we're not going to play it. Nope, not going to do it. Yeah. And at that point, you thought, okay, it's time to probably look elsewhere. And they wrote it out. And then you responded by going twelve and one, thirteen and one, and then of course fifteen and zero. Twelve and one, then lost the ball game. So I guess twelve and two overall. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, it sometimes does work, but. I just think in sports, almost every time someone gets fired, you're like, yep, that was a little bit too late. Except in the NBA when they got rid of Adrian Griffin. 
because they, they, they did that pretty early. They're like, you know what? We're going to go ahead, sir, and say that uh, you're not going to make it past the probationary period of the three months before like we officially hire you on. Like, you're you're out of here. Who was the, the the Cleveland coach? Was it Blatt? Dave Blatt, Blatt yeah. yeah. He was another one. Like That was a LeBron-architected thing, right? Yeah, he, he went to the finals the first year, and then the second year it came out with a good record, but... I, I would say in that scenario, you would argue that this it's what I'm talking about, though. The Cavs looked and said, actually, we're going to make a change. We think we got somebody better here that could do a job better and get along with players. And then they fired David Blatt in the middle of 2016, promoted Ty Lue, and then went on and won the finals and beat you know, a 73-win Golden State team. And, and Ty Lue became uh, thought of as, like the for a while they were calling him, like the Bill Belichick of, of the NBA in terms of how he can game plan and strategize. So, I mean, I would say that that was a, a program or a franchise looking and being aggressive and making that switch. Not a coaching decision, not a coaching decision, but I do think in the Super Bowl you have a, a comparable analogy of, hey, you know, uh, we're going to let somebody else take us to the next level because the Chiefs went to the playoffs with Alex Smith and, you know, we're a pretty solid team, and they looked and said, actually, we're going to bring in, bring in somebody else to do this job, and, of course, the rest so far is history that is still being written because Patrick Mahomes, fast forward, has been to three Super Bowls and won two of them and is getting ready to play in his fourth. We'll dive into that after the break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Back on the program. This segment is brought to you by our friends at SM Athletics. I told you, you're gearing up. Sports are here. AAU basketball, baseball, fast pitch softball, track and field. Speaking of track and field, man, former track star here at UT, Bianca Belair. She was looking good last night in Vegas. See the picture, Sam? At at the WWE event they did last night, Bianca came out. I meant to put some WWE news in my headlines, actually. Why? Every time I see her, I'm like, wow, what a no- – well, it's a very popular thing, Bob. I, don't I know. Saw, uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, eight, how, how many billions of dollars do they get from Netflix? Okay, I get it. Kind get of a big it. deal. But every time I see Bianca, Sam, she comes walking out with those legs. Absolutely stacked. Absolutely stacked. Very strong track athlete. I would like to know how much she could squat. But give us some love to our track and field ladies. If you have any uniform equipment – or screen print or embroidery needs for the upcoming season. Give SM Athletics a call. You'll get excellent customer service. You'll get great products at a fair price. And when they say it's done, it'll be done right and on time, every time. Shop locally. Support the people who support us, SM Athletics. Boy, do they support us. Don't chance it with unreliable megastores. Give your business to somebody you can get on the phone immediately and get your order taken care of. 865-966. Sam, what's the last four digits? 3434. 3434. There we go. Now he's paying attention to the live reads. SMAthletics.com. SMAthletics.com. Did you see the hill turn last night, by the way, Bob? Did you see the rock? He's going Hollywood rock. He's going He's going bad guy. Movie started flopping. Now he's like, okay, I got to come back and go all in on this WWE run. Did you see it, Bob? You know, I know the NFL's in Las Vegas, but for the night, the WWE stole the headlines from the NFL in Las Vegas on their awards night. How about that? All those videos. The Rock, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, uh, slaps. 
cussing. The Rock going a little rated R, dropped an F bomb in the in the backstage to really sell, to really blur the line, Bob, that it was a real situation and not a work. He he was back there foul mouthed, cursing up a storm. I didn't see any of that. Uh, I I did see him on. Uh, he made an appearance on McAfee yesterday. Strategic, of course, and uh, and he was doing some foreshadowing and uh, was wearing a bizarro uh, kind of light blue leatherish jacket. It was kind of an odd look, but something that a bad guy would wear, right? Exactly. Something that a, a heel would wear. Like you, when I yeah. saw him wear that, and he was talking about certain things on the McAfee show, I was like, oh, he's gearing up to for a heel turn. Yeah. And then he came out and. The crowd was kind of booing him, and he looked a little bothered by that. And then he he came out wearing all black. I was like, yep, that's that's usually a good giveaway in wrestling. If they're wearing black, it's typically a, a bad guy thing. And next thing you knew, the heel turn was complete. So we're getting a little Hollywood rock where he's saying, you know, how he's the biggest star and blah, blah, blah. So a successful night for them. Does, did he break out his, uh, you know, his signature tagline? Or does that if just... you smell it, the rock is cooking. Yeah, yeah he, he said a variation of it, but yeah, yeah. And then also dropped it. Doesn't matter what you think. That was another one of his where he'd ask a question. So Bob, what do you think about WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah and you'd it start... doesn't yeah. matter what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah you start answering it. Yes. Uh, he essentially yes. kind of pulled out a little bit of that. So yeah, uh, but shout out to Bianca Belair, BFL. What a woman! <laughs> what a woman! <sighs> yeah. Friend of Fox Sports Knoxville, by the way. Did she really? Yeah, she came on and did an interview with us prior to uh, WrestleMania a couple years ago. Nice. Yeah. Friend of the program. Very nice. Love to see it. Where do you want to go next? you want to go Tennessee basketball since we're talking Bianca Belair, a little VFL action? Yeah, we a do. A lady vault you can trust, by the way. None of those ladies over there playing basketball right now you can trust on the women's side. But Bianca, lady vault for life that you can trust in this basketball team is one you could trust right now, too. Yeah, big game this weekend. Uh, we've talked about it on and off this week. Um, maybe the one, as fans, we're probably most concerned about, at least in the next handful of games, because it's down in College Station. And Texas A&M is kind of a funky team, but they're they're dangerous. They're, they're, they certainly could win that game tomorrow night, and it's likely going to be a, a wild atmosphere as coach Polinsky said to us yesterday on his appearance that everybody gears up for Tennessee these days when they go on the road so uh, they're they're expecting a, a loud crowd a packed house um, and it's a team Texas A&M if you recall at the beginning of the season I, they I mean, they were ranked high, maybe even close to the top 10 in the preseason rankings. I want to say they were right outside the top 10, around like number 12, if I remember correctly. But I want to say they were also picked to win the conference by yes, the media. Yes, they were. If I remember uh, the right way. But Texas A&M, that was an ugly game last year, Tennessee's trip to College Station. Yeah. That was a, kind of a, a gross one. You lost that one 68-63, to 63, and it was frustrating. So, like, you owe them a little bit of payback, and you need to go out there and get a win at College Station. Sam, what is your level of concern for Tennessee headed to College Station tomorrow? Um, I'm not concerned, but I, I do think that— So I'll mark that down as low concern. Low concern, but I don't think it's a team that you need to mess around with. To me, coming into the season, I thought Texas A&M was maybe the third-best team in the in the SEC. Um and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got some guys kind of all around. I think they've got, obviously, great guard play with Wade Taylor and Radford. And, you know, they've got some 
some dangerous big men. I, th- I think Coleman's a guy that could probably provide us some problems if you know you kind of have one of those nights from your big men where they don't match the physicality of somebody else. But I think that you've got to feel pretty solid about your matchup with them. But I just think that if you kind of come in and you're a little lazy, Texas A&M's a team that can bite you. I don't want to call this a must win because, I mean, obviously it's not. It's not a must win. If you lose, it's disappointing. But, like, the season's not ruined or anything. But for me, this is a big vibes game. This is a game that if you lose, you undo a lot of the goodwill from last weekend of beating Kentucky. Like, I think if you came out of that four-game stretch, two and two, you would be disappointed. Like, last week at the beginning of the week on Monday, Bob, if I told you, you're going to go one and one this week against South Carolina and at Kentucky. You might not have been thrilled. You might not have been like, yeah, lock that in. I'll take that. But you'd be like, okay, that's fine. Understandable. Right. Not a big deal. Now, you would have thought you would have beat South Carolina and lost to Kentucky, you know, obviously. But if I told you last Monday that you're getting ready to play South Carolina, at Kentucky, LSU, and A&M, and you're going to go two and two, that would be a disappointment. I would agree with that. You would not have locked that in at all. You'd be very upset. You'd be like, this is a failure of a stretch. With that, So with that being said, Tennessee really needs to win this and get to that 3-1 and one of your last four games and not lose to an A&M team. That's solid. It's a top 50 team, but it is a team that is not on your level this year. That's the thing. I, I look at it, and, and I, we talked with Will Warren about this too, and it, it's what – confuses me a little i guess maybe we buy into some of the preseason hype that existed for texas a&m i mean you look at their metrics um 53rd in offensive efficiency 56th in defensive efficiency 321st in pace although we bought into that hype you know that high number in pace with south carolina and we saw where that got us but but also and will mentioned this or maybe polinsky did it was number one nationally in offensive rebounding i mean they 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 get after it underneath so um, it's one of those that on paper I look at it and I'm like, I don't know why I'm worried about this game, but I am worried about this game. And, and I agree with you. I think it maybe not must win, but, boy, it would tarnish a, a good body of work over the last two games if, uh, if they happen to lose. You are now in position to be a legitimate threat for a one seed. Correct. Like you're in that position. You don't have to even go perfect down the stretch to get to that one seed level. You you could have a slip up here and there, but I don't think you can really. I, I don't think you need this slip up at A and M. If you if you have this slip up at A and M, I don't think you're disqualified from a one seed because it's not that bad of a loss. It's a quad one loss, blah blah blah. But it it really removes the rest of your margin for error. Like you have to be pretty much perfect down the stretch after this game, if you lose this one. So I would rather keep my save a life in my back pocket to throw out when we actually need it. So I want Tennessee to come out and just flex their muscle a little bit. It's a road game. It's at College Station. It's a far trip. I get all that. You're going to have to hop on a plane to get there. I understand. But you you won at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's better. The Cole Center's a tougher place to play. You won at Kentucky. Kentucky's better. Rupp Arena is a tougher place to play. You should not be overwhelmed by going to Texas A&M and whatever the hell their arena is called. I don't know what their arena is called. Yeah. The, the gig- house that AC Law IV built. I don't know. Gig- Gigum Center. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, 
yeah, it, obviously the game's going to matter to A&M. They're currently projecting as a 10 seed for the tournament, um, but in the last four buys range. So they're in that range where they can't afford to lose many more games either. So um, it's going to matter to them. Buzz Williams is a good coach. We always talk about that. Um, but you're right. There, there's no reason Tennessee shouldn't go down there and take care of business. Uh, there's there's just no reason at all. Let's uh, – Let's let's just believe that uh, what we've seen these last couple games is the is the trend. That's where we're headed, and that'd be a good sign. Because you're right, it, the, to again to be in the conversation for a one seed is feels good. That's one of, and we know that likely those one seeds. There's probably two of them that are locked up already, pretty close with Purdue and Connecticut. Uh, they'd have to have a total meltdown. So really, it's then you're gunning for you know there's going to be a bunch of teams gunning for two spots. So. It's nice to be in that mix, but we've got to take care of business to continue to be in that mix. Yeah, it was a nice little flex by Polinski to be like, hey, you know, when we come to town, we're a main event. You know, yeah. people people want to come and beat us. We, we could sell out any arena. I mean, I know that's not the way he was saying it, but it's not far off in terms of when you come to town with a number five or number six next to your ranking and you're thought of as one of, if not the best team in the conference, it matters. It matters. And Tennessee has reached that level. You know, I don't know if teams are quite getting up for Tennessee the level they still like beating Kentucky, just because Kentucky, you know, has ran the conference for a long time and has the tradition and all that. I get that, but we've talked about the last five years, Tennessee's been just as good. Tennessee comes into these games ranked just as high, if not higher. Texas A&M, if you're them, you're looking at, like, I don't want to say house money because a loss does hurt a little bit. It's a wasted opportunity. But a loss for them just kind of helps their resume just in the sense of it's a, it bolsters your RPI and your strength of schedule just playing Tennessee. Just Tennessee showing up to your arena helps you when it comes to who you've played. A close loss against Tennessee is better than beating some of these SEC teams. So a loss isn't the end of the world for AM. It might even be a little advantageous. But a win there is a resume builder and at some levels can be a resume maker. And also a wrinkle is that you turn around and play this team not too many days later. You're, you're going to play them. Right. You're going to play them uh, February 24th. So, you know, twice within two weeks. So that, that that's an, another wrinkle. You don't always get that in the SEC where you play a team twice within two weeks. I think it's nice that we uh, we allowed 18 offensive boards the game before we run into the best offensive rebounding team in the country, basically. Well, you know, I kind of said that to Polinsky. Like, you won, you won by 20, the resume's still intact, the RPI is going to look good with the 20-point win, but there's plenty of stuff you can look at and mm-hmm. really get after the team's ass about. Like, Absolutely. Like, your offensive lack, you know, you're getting lackadaisical on offense, and then just getting dominated. How many, what was the rebounding numbers? 18-5 to five on the offensive. Yeah, I loved how he termed it. He said, we lost the backboard, is how he called yeah, it. Yeah. Which, uh... Yeah. They, they almost did. had more offensive rebounds than we had total rebounds right. in the game. That's right. We had what twenty six total rebounds, I think. So it's not to not to point fingers at anybody, but I was reading the game recap from uh, the VolQuest guys, and I don't know what, what the hell happened over there. Rob Lewis was complimenting Tennessee's rebounding performance and said Tennessee had won the glass. And I was like, the, how did that? How did that make it across the editing well, board of like the same game? <laughs> yeah, what stat did you look at? What stat did you look at? Because Tennessee got dominated on the glass. Yeah, we had 21 defensive boards on Wednesday, and they had 18 offensive boards. 
How many total rebounds did we have? Maybe six. Yeah, maybe he looked and saw, saw that we had more rebounds than they had offensive rebounds. Maybe that was the mistake. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, probably. We had twenty six. They had eighteen. Oh wait, that's offensive rebounds to total rebounds. I mean, there were some other lines that you know we turned LSU over a lot. Oh, yeah. Sure, there was a huge gap there, but yeah, that is puzzling. <laughs> Well, also, comment. I, I imagine the shooting performance was also favored in Tennessee's way as well. So yeah, like, yeah, you don't need offensive rebounds if you're shooting that well. Correct, and you're going to have, obviously, more opportunities to get offensive rebounds if you're shooting poorly versus less offensive rebound opportunities if you're shooting well. So, like, Tennessee, although, honestly, like, a crazy stat, and maybe it's just as simple as the turnovers, and I guess it probably is because they had 16 turnovers, but, like, the shot attempts, LSU had 58, Tennessee had 56. Yeah. And it wasn't like Tennessee like wasted a bunch of possessions at the free throw line because LSU shot 22 free throws to Tennessee's 20. So to get offensive rebounded, to get out offensive rebounded to the number you did and to still only have two fewer shots than your opponent is pretty amazing. It's strange, too. Points in the paint in that game, Tennessee outscored uh, LSU thirty eight to twenty six. Yeah, um, but then LSU it's a that's it's a puzzler. Second chance points. LSU had twenty. Tennessee had ten. I mean, it's so it actually furthers what you just said about Rob Lewis. It's like, with all respect to Rob Lewis, I was like, what the hell, man? That's this is a weird game to, in general statistically. Um, and there was a point, and I don't, I don't know, you know, Tennessee had thirty one buckets and twenty three assists. Yeah. So the ball movement was very crisp. I know in the first half, at a certain point, the announcer said Tennessee has 15 buckets, and on those first 15 buckets, they had 13 assists. So it was, you know, a, a game where the entire team was moving the ball. It's what you want. It wasn't throw it to connect and stand around and watch him and hope that he can save you. It was, hey, move, pass. The ball movement from Tennessee was great in that game and was highlighted by the number of assists. Yeah, 23 assists to – to the flip side, LSU had 24 buckets. They had seven assists. Like, when they were scoring, it was all having to be, like, one-on-one create something because uh, the team defense was not breaking down. And that ratio, we talked about it in the Kentucky game. It showed itself again in the LSU game when it comes to Sakai. He shot the ball nine times but also had nine assists. And it's So he hasn't been upside down in a couple of games Chris now. Paul-esque, man. That's what I'm saying. Like Those are the type of stat lines Chris Paul has where he scores 15 points on seven shots and will throw out you know 13 assists, two turnovers. Like that, That's the type of control he has right now. And Zakai, you know, not going to have the NBA career as Chris Paul did, I wouldn't imagine. I imagine Zakai's going to be a guy that makes a lot of money overseas, be a fan favorite overseas, and be a millionaire over there, if I was guessing. But as far as college point guard, college basketball point guards go, you can't find a guy that's playing better right now, this week. I agree. Over the last two games. Now, you know, against South Carolina, you know, three games ago, he wasn't very good at all. He was 0 for 6, I believe, if I remember correctly. But, like, the two-game stretch he's on right now of Kentucky and, and LSU – be hard to find a point guard in the country playing better than him. So, like, he does have that ability. He does have that ceiling. It's credit to him. So, you think this will be four and a half, roughly, ballpark? If I was guessing, I'm in the four, four and a half range, if I'm guessing. You know, it's a top 50 team at home. Tennessee going to come in ranked, you know, at number six, I believe, in the polls. So, like, 
So Tennessee is going to be favored, of course, but I don't think it's going to be some big number, some huge number. I will say this: if Tennessee comes out and wins that game, they will. Ha- there's no question they'll have earned it. These guys will. They're gonna. They're gonna throw everything at Tennessee. I would think, just like Polinsky said, it's an important game for the fans, for the for the program at A and M. Um, I think you talk about vibes. I think the vibes will be stronger if they uh, if they take care of business down there because that's this is a, this is a big win. Well, they it's. Get it. It's your last game that you look at kind of as a as a trip up game for the next couple of weeks, right? It's your last I want to say test before you get to that you know final two week stretch where the season will be determined, or at least the regular season will be determined by like if you get through uh, tomorrow against A and M like you should eight o'clock ESPN, you should be able to come home and take care of business against Vanderbilt. Or I guess you could go to Arkansas next. You should be able to go to Arkansas and win. Come home, take care of business against Vanderbilt. Go to Missouri win, and then you'll set up another game against AM at home where at least you're going up against somebody with a pulse and you know you win that game and then you're in that stretch. Let's just hope love doesn't win on Valentine's. <laughs> Let's just hope not. Yeah, a, a lover's quarrel down in Arkansas. But AM, a top fifty defense, a top fifty offense. But those numbers are forty seven on offense and forty nine on defense, so barely. They're your stereotypical bubble team. Is what they are. Yep. We've been on the bubble before. We know what kind of team that means we are. It means you're a team that's probably not going to win on the road, but you have a chance to pull it out instead of uh, at home. Like that's what you're banking on. And that's the position they find themselves in. Anything else to add about AM? No. Let's go get it. Sam, anything else to add about AM? Yeah, not really. If anybody wants to weigh in on AM, you can call in at 865-546-8200 if you want to talk the state of the team and the matchup against AM tomorrow. We will put you on and let you talk. If not, we will move on from Tennessee AM. You know what's at stake. You've been keeping up with the season. This isn't new. You know what kind of run Tennessee's on right now. I, I told you at the beginning of the show. Arizona could have done you a solid last night by losing, but they didn't. They kept the pressure on you, so Tennessee has to answer and hold serve themselves. Saturday is going to be big, as Sam pointed out, for your battle against Arizona. They're at Colorado. You're at A&M. Can both teams hold serve? Will somebody blink? Whoever does blink is going to put themselves in a bad position. Colorado is going to have a better chance of beating Arizona. If I was projecting that point spread, I would think that's going to be more around the two and a half, three and a half range. Two and a half, three is what I'll guess there. I think Colorado has a chance to to pull that upset. Arizona's going to go in for a dogfight there. Send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, I'm done with college basketball for now. It is Super Bowl Friday. Let's focus on the big game. Two heavyweights going at it. I mean, I do think that we got to an interesting matchup. I don't know if I'd say these are the two best teams, but they've been both franchises, of course, that have been really good for the last four years. We deserve kind of a rematch from that first Super Bowl because the first Super Bowl they had, I thought, was one of the best Super Bowls we've had. You know, it, it didn't have like a crazy ending or anything, but Kansas City coming back from a 10-point deficit, the big pass to Tyree Kill, going down, taking the lead, Jimmy Garoppolo just missing the game-winning touchdown by about a yard, 
on an overthrow. I do think this deserves a rematch, so I'm excited to see it. Did you rank that game as highly as I did when I'm talking to the Chiefs 49ers round one? Did you did you think it was as great as I just made it sound? It was a good game. I I, I do remember that. Um, You're not ranking it in terms of your best endings anywhere, like in terms of tense fourth quarters? Not not for me. Okay. Not like top three or something like that. No, I wouldn't yeah. say that. Well, top three, I mean, we've had we've had a couple Super Bowls. I mean, one in our life, Sam, or I guess you weren't alive, but it affects you. I'm, do you still get triggered watching the ending of the, the oh, Titans yeah. Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but yeah, that still pisses me off. <laughs> okay, so there's not like a part of you that's like, man, I'm glad I wasn't, I'm glad I didn't miss the Super Bowl, that I'll get to see the Titans' first Super Bowl. Because you still have to deal with the fallout of, like, hey, your franchise has never won one. Yeah, like, I yeah. still have friends telling me all the time, like, oh, yeah. win a Super Bowl. So, well, I always okay. just tell them, well, I was like you. I was a Cowboys fan when I was six, so <laughs> I did win a Super Bowl. Because I was just like you and just randomly pick my teams, too. So I won a Super Bowl and an NBA championship. I love the Bulls, too. My teams won Super Bowls all the time. My team won. <laughs> I, when I was a kid, Bob, I went back to back to back in the NBA and went back to back with the Cowboys and won three out of four and – and then, you know, even my Vols won a couple titles, you know, with the women's basketball program, three in a row. I was nothing but a champion when I was a kid. I had a buddy like you. He liked uh, the Bulls, the Yankees. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was like any team, you know, we'd give him grief, you know, when. Uh, Hold on, Bob. I was six. Yeah. This I was is six. This, no, that's fair. That, I'm saying this yeah. guy was an adult. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm doing it facetiously. Your adult friend, he, he he's the problem. He's yeah. bad. Although. He might have better – he might have more fun with sports than we've had, though. Maybe true. I don't know. Yeah, as long as you could take the heat of being a front runner, you know, that's uh, – I'm a winner, baby. I know how to yeah. pick a winner. But has he stuck with the Bulls and Yankees? Because now he's kind of stuck on franchises that aren't winners anymore, and that seems like hell. No, he's a Celtics fan now. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he's from uh, Michigan, so he's also a Lions fan. Nice. Now. That's, it's, so, yeah, it keeps shifting. It, it, he's, he's unapologetic about it, so I'll give him that. Um, when I was a kid um, – I had the uh, – this is not a thing anymore, but it used to be the big NFL team jacket with the, with the kind of vinyl sleeves. Yeah. The, I had a Steelers one. It was it was badass. Nice. With the yellow sleeves, black jacket. Uh, and so I kind of liked the Steelers back then, but I also liked the Colts as a kid because I liked their helmet. It was always, you know, goofy reasons why you would like them if they weren't in your hometown. But, uh, yeah. One of the first NFL games I remember was the AFC Championship between the Colts and Steelers where Harbaugh – through that Hail Mary at the end, and it almost got caught for a win. And Captain Comeback, that's what they yeah. called him back then. Yeah. Were was... you all in on the Colts at that point? Oh, you... oh, yeah. I was all okay. in. I was all in on the Colts back before they moved to Indianapolis. Okay. They were they were terrible back then. But yeah, um, yeah. And that Colts team, it's hard to believe they were that close to a Super Bowl. Yeah. They were not very good. I don't remember anything about them. I just, yeah. I know I used to watch the game, and my mom had a crush on Bill Cowher, <laughs> and that always made me a little uncomfortable as, as a kid. He's got a good jaw. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was, I guess, like, I could see, like, the rugged handsomeness of him. I don't know, now I have to hear talk about Kevin Costner. He's doing it now with the whole Yellowstone. He's, he's got all the uh, older older women in love now, but Bill Cowher was that guy back in the day. Same. So, okay, so <laughs> we're going to move off of Bill Cowher's handsomeness. Fair enough. Um, CBS Sports did, you know, they've got all sorts. There are a plethora of information for Super Bowl stories. They did their... They did their top 15 top finishes in Super Bowl history. We're not going to go through 15 of them, but 
Maybe like the top five or six. I Our boy he's... Jordan Dejani, CBS Sports. He is at the Super Bowl this week. I don't know if you saw him. He went a little viral wearing his, uh, some goofy suit he was wearing at Vegas. Really? And, yeah, for media day. So shout out to him, friend of the program. Top 15, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't know if I want to guess either. Sam, before we get to the actual list, how they rank them, is there any in your lifetime that you would stand out and say best finishes? Um... I mean, Bob's already seen the list. He's been swayed. He's been They're kind of no brainers in my opinion. But okay. like the the Steelers Cardinals one stands out to me. That one was so boring just because I was so not invested in that game. The ending was great, but I, I didn't do a Super Bowl party. I didn't put any bets on the game. I just laid on the couch and watched it and like it didn't didn't move me. I was kind of rooting for the Cardinals, but like it just didn't have a rooting interest. I think the end is just kind of obviously what sticks out, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Patriots-Seahawks, like the the one-yard finish, like that one, obviously. Is that the answer? Is that number one, Bob, or do they give it to the Falcons-Patriots because of the comeback and the overtime, like, sudden-death nature of it? No. Neither one of them are number, number one? Nope. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I think we've had some good endings because, I mean, like, the goal line stand in the Harbaugh Bowl was kind of exciting, too. I mean, that mm-hmm. was uh, – yeah. First and goal from the four or five, and you know you get four straight stops. Ray Lewis and Ed Reed's kind of yep. swan song, and and Kaepernick trying to break through and, and win a Super Bowl at the goal line and not being able to. I'll rattle off the top six and see what you guys think. Uh, this, and the reason I'm doing six instead of five is uh, number six is noteworthy to me, and that is uh, the Super Bowl in 2002. Patriots over the Rams, twenty to seventeen. This was the emergence of uh, Tom Brady. What? They had that as what number? Number six. Okay, number six. I mean, I've gone back and watched the end of that Super Bowl. I don't feel like that was anything that exciting. It was. You have like it's kind of crazy how far we've come in sports since then. Because I mean, that was two thousand two. But, like, you have John Madden telling them to sit on the ball with, like, a minute and 20 seconds. So, I'm just like, hey, you know, I just go to overtime here and not make a mistake. And that that's what the announcer is like. But, you know, imagine now a quarterback getting the ball with a minute and 20 left. You're like, yep, you're going to go try to go get in field goal range. And he's like, the, Tom Brady should just sit on it. This is a mistake. And then he takes him down the field with, like, a couple of, like, dump downs to some t- uh, tight ends and running backs. So, for that to be number six is kind of surprising. Well, if I'd love to know what the spread on that game was because if if you were, the Rams, you guys were super young, Sam, you weren't even uh, able to watch it. But it, the Rams were clearly favored in this one. The Rams were like at the peak of their, you know, greatest show on turf offense and all that. I want to I mean I want to say it was like 13. Yeah. I want to say cuz like it was around the same cuz it was around the biggest, I want to say because the Giants Patriots in 2007 slash eight, I think passed, or it was like right around that same range. It's like biggest spread since then, or whatever. But yeah, 14. Looking yeah. it up, DraftKings says it was 14. Number five was uh, the 91 Super Bowl. Um, neither of you guys were around. No, no. And I was uh, alive, but Bills lose to the Giants 2019. That's the Scott Norwood wide right. Was that field goal to win the game or? Yes. Yeah. Tie the game. It was to win it? To win it. Oh, Missed man. it with eight seconds left in the game. I knew they missed a field goal, but I couldn't remember if it was to tie it and send it to overtime or to win it. Yeah. That's tough. Uh, losing a Super Bowl that way would be uh, – I wouldn't watch football brutal. again. Smallest margin of victory in Super Bowl history. Um, okay, number four, Steelers-Cardinals, Sam, the one you talked about. Um, 
I just remember that Santonio Holmes catch. Yeah. That's all I remember yeah. in that game. Terrible literally. throw by Big Ben to risk <laughs> yeah, that into really double was. coverage because they were only down three, I believe, right? I think they could have tied it with the field goal. Correct. And he could have. He almost threw an interception to lose the game. Yeah, Steelers 27, Cardinals 3, 2009. Um, number three in 2000, the Rams over the Titans. Very sorry, guys. It's for not one. Eh, you know, I, I still it, – it hurts, but at the same time – when I watch the the replay and I watch the final drive, I'm more so just like happy to see Steve McNair out there breaking tackles and running around making plays. It was it was a great game. I do remember that. To watch that drive and the yeah. Titans were seven point underdogs, so I mean like it was about what it was supposed to be. And the the one that hurts me worse is the giving up the long touchdown pass, like because it was covered and you just missed a tackle and it turned into like a seventy four yard touchdown and like. To me, that hurts worse than getting tackled a yard short because it was more like three yards short. He wasn't even really that close to yeah. the stretch out. I mean, like he was down. I mean, it wasn't. Hey, it was I, amazing. Hard, hard way, hard, 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 hard way to end it. But that was a hell of a season. Make one damn move. Number two. One move. Although Jeff Fisher did say uh, recently that he was asked if he had gone for two, he said no. So he liked the way it was trending. It would have gone to overtime. The thing that gets me about that game, not to cut you off about number two, but like You're fine. people look at that and say. It was for the win. It was just a tie the game. There's no guarantee we would have won. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a game-winning touchdown. It was a tie the game. Anyways, number two is what? Number two, 2015 Super Bowl. Patriots 28, Seahawks 24. The Malcolm Butler interception of Russell Wilson after they'd been running Marshawn Lynch like a beast. Yeah. They they throw at the goal line. That, that game just, ugh, that was so frustrating because I was so over the Patriots at that point. I had a lot of money on the Seahawks that day, too. Yeah. I've been on the wrong side of two of the most iconic endings in sports history. Yeah. And I see replays about it all the time. And unlike the Super Bowl, I do get triggered. That goal line situation a yard away and then Ray Allen game six against the Spurs. I had a lot of money on the Spurs to win the series and in game six. And I took an hour shower after that and just laid in the shower. <laughs> like, shower. What the hell is wrong with The that? arrested development. Yeah. You got, you're crying with the washcloth in your mouth. No tears. Just sitting there like, oh, my God. I can't believe they did. Cool. I, I, still get, I still get triggered. I was watching the the Clippers Pelicans the other night, and I saw Kawhi Leonard shooting free throws, and I got triggered back to him missing a clutch free throw in that game. And I thought back to that shot. But, yeah, that's a good number two. What's number one? Number one. And it's really, again, kind of a no-brainer once you remember it. Uh, the 2008 Super Bowl, Giants 17, Patriots 14, the David Tyree catch on his helmet from Eli Manning. Um, it was a 32-yard completion um, late in the game. That gave the Giants the lead when it or led to a Plaxico Burris touchdown. And the Patriots drove. And as I recall, were the Patriots, were they were they undefeated that season? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the year they were yeah. 18 and 0. Yeah. Yep. I don't so, think they drove though. I don't remember them driving. Yeah. I remember them trying to throw Hail Marys to Randy Moss and like not being able to hit anything. Like They said, yeah, they said here they uh Brady and Moss nearly connected on a desperation fourth down deep pass that would have given New England the ball in field goal range yeah. with 2 seconds left. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember them driving at all. I think they went four and out. Like I don't think they even picked up a first down. Yeah. But they did come very very close. To hitting a Hail Mary to Randy Moss. I do remember that. Said that Brady threw the ball almost 85 yards yeah. on that play in the air. Yeah. So, no, it was uh, – I remember that one. I think, that's a, I think that's a worthy number one, I would say. It had the moment with the helmet catch, but I just think the, the ending to the Seahawks-Patriots is probably it – was, it was more intense – 
Definitely more intense. I just think I, I'm I'm taking the context too that the Patriots were such a juggernaut. Sure, and they, yeah. they went down and. But yeah, I'd say there's a fair argument for number two. The, the Patriots had come back from a ten point deficit. You had the the diving. Like Edelman had a crazy catch. I think I believe he had a crazy catch. He and did. Then, he did. And then you had like the Seahawks almost score a touchdown. They tackle him. You know, Doug Baldwin, I believe it was, almost broke it in for a touchdown. Gets tackled, and then of course that led to the one yard decision, and then the the scenario surrounding the decision because like locker room dynamics of the Seahawks thinking they just didn't want Marshawn Lynch to be MVP and they wanted the golden boy Russell Wilson so they're throwing it and intercepted. But yeah, the helmet catch, that was iconic. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We'll grab Dustin Colquitt, VFL and Kansas City Chief. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. It is time for our weekend betaway. Eli Herskovich, thelines.com. Oh, I can feel the energy in the air, Eli. Positive energy, positive vibes. We're going to pick some winners today. How are you this morning? Doing great, guys. Excited to talk Super Bowl and college basketball. Big weekend ahead and a lot of bets to be made. A lot of bets to be made. Let's get right to it. Let's do. Let's get college basketball out of the way. It'll be our little appetizer. We got some of that Friday night, Saturday night action. What's standing out to you this weekend? Yeah, so one of the teams that we discussed a couple weeks ago was Auburn, and a team that I bet to win the title going back to late November at around 80-1. to Now, among the upper echelon teams, when you look at the odds for to win the national title, especially over at thelines.com, and they have a big game at Florida this weekend. I see this as a potential letdown spot here for the Tigers after a big win in the Iron Bowl, at least for basketball-wise, and this is a Florida team that wants to attack the offensive glass with Hanglot and Samuel. I know you guys saw the balls dismantle Florida, what, two, three weeks ago in Knoxville, but this is going to be a difficult game for Auburn in the swamp if they can't get up for it, like we saw in a similar letdown spot for a different conference, but North Carolina against Clemson when Clemson came into the Dean Dome and upset them as around seven, eight-point road dogs. So if Florida is able to generate those second-chance shots, I look for the Gators to pull off the home upset. But I will say we've seen ad nauseum sportsbooks and odds makers shade towards home teams. So don't automatically take the Gators if this line is around 2-3. You probably need a couple possessions. Yeah, yeah, we kind of made that mistake last weekend with some of the home teams, at least I did. We had talked about St. John's, and they kind of rode that wave early in the game, but then UConn kind of overwhelmed them. And then on Sunday, same thing, you you took the you took the points with Wisconsin at home against Purdue, thinking like, hey, a home team is going to get over the hump here. And it was kind of a similar script to that game where Purdue kind of you know choked them out. So the home team doesn't seem, at least from the last couple of weeks, to be as profitable as years past. A hundred percent. And that just goes to the point that you don't always, like another game that you guys well know is coming up this weekend, Tennessee and Texas A&M, that's a spot where I would certainly look towards the Aggies if you're catching around two possessions and with the way that Tennessee is going to be priced into the market, especially after winning at Rupp last weekend, I would expect this line to open around five or six and A&M has been one of the more perplexing teams offensively and really at both ends of the floor, even though their defense has 
not necessarily taking the biggest step back, but shooting under 27% from three when you have guys like Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford who are historically, or at least last year, pretty solid and pretty efficient shot makers from behind the arc. So interesting spot for sure to watch for for Tennessee. It's not a letdown by any means like it may be for Auburn at Florida, but if Texas A&M gets any positive variance from behind the arc against a Tennessee defense that likes to pressure the ball and run you off the three-point line, but if you could beat them out in transition, you can get to the three-point line and get some open looks. You just mentioned Tennessee's big win over Kentucky last weekend, Eli, and um, Kentucky's got an out-of-conference matchup this weekend with Gonzaga, and boy, at the beginning of the season at face value, that looked like a titanic matchup, and it's still a good one, but their team's in different spots. Kentucky's scuffling a little bit they won big in their middle middle week game this weekend or week rather against Vanderbilt but Gonzaga is actually kind of a bubble team this year and uh just kind of curious if you have that on your list as a as a game to focus on absolutely and Gonzaga is not only a bubble team I think they're out of the NCAA tournament which is crazy to say I have a history question for you guys gonna put you on the spot who was the president? The last time Gonzaga missed the NCAA tournament. Bush, the original one. You're close. Ah, Bill Clinton. Damn it. Bill Clinton going back to 1998. That is the Ah. last time the Zags have not been in the big dance. And if they're not able to generate, similar to Florida, get those offensive rebounds against a Kentucky team that is not only a liability on the defensive end, but also on the defensive glass, then I think Gonzaga may get run out of rough just by their poor transition defense. And if Tennessee didn't hit those threes, and granted that was a product of Kentucky's lackadaisical defense last weekend, then Kentucky's transition offense probably would have been enough to win that game. So if Gonzaga isn't able to be a force on the glass with Watson, who is really taking a step after Timmy left, then I think Kentucky's transition offense, especially with Dillingham, and even if Wagner and Trey Mitchell don't play after missing the Vanderbilt game, I I think Kentucky's elite, elite offense, fifth-rated adjusted offensive efficiency, gets the job done. i got to be honest, Eli, I'm kind of an idiot because uh, I was thinking that Bush was was president in 96. I forgot Clinton was a two-term president, so that's why my math was wrong. I could have gotten that question right. (laughs) Excuses, excuses. I didn't fail the sports side of it. I felt the history (laughs) civic side of it. So that's on me. Of these teams, go ahead. Sorry. No, I respect the honesty. Yeah. Of these teams and at this price, does anything stand out when you're looking at SEC regular season conference championship winners? Auburn at plus 130, Tennessee at plus 165, Alabama plus 340. South Carolina plus 950, or Kentucky plus 9,500. Does anything stand out as some potential value? Maybe Kentucky if they improve their defense, but I think we're deep enough into the season where that's not going to happen, at least to the degree that it has to happen to win a regular season title. Maybe we see them make a run in the SEC tournament. That's all about matchups, and then you get a step further, matchups become even more of a prominent part of the conversation once we get to March Madness. But 
Auburn was the valuable play, like I brought up to you guys when it came to preseason or at least early on in non-conference play when I bet them to win the national title. I don't think plus 130 is super valuable. Now, you are getting a little bit of a discount on Tennessee, and Tennessee gets Auburn in Knoxville in, what, two, three weeks? Yep. Hopefully we don't get a dreadful game like we saw oh, offensively. I, yeah, I, you guys probably saw it firsthand. I still have nightmares what, what, about it? that, Eli. In the 40s, right? What yeah. was going on last year? I still have nightmares. We have <laughs> we have Tennessee's assistant basketball coach on, too, and he brought that game up two weeks ago, too, and I think he still has nightmares about it, too. Yeah, I don't blame him. So hopefully that game is a little bit more competitive, at least up and down. Both teams converting in transition. I think there were around 90 to 100 missed three-point three point attempts from both teams. But I, I do think... If, if I had to bet one right now, I would probably take Tennessee just based on the number and the value, just considering Tennessee was around even money uh, two weeks ago. But I don't think I could pull the trigger on any team right now. All right, let's switch gears. The big game coming up Sunday. San Francisco currently two-and-a-half-point favorites. A slight lean on the juice to the Chiefs at, plus, uh, at minus 115, excuse me. Where are you standing right now on either that or the over-under of 47.5? Yeah, I have a bet on the total for this game. Uh, We can talk spread and potential winner in a second. Not immune to that conversation, but I really like the under, under 47.5. I haven't pulled the trigger just because I'm waiting to see if it gets up to 48. And the big thing to keep in mind with a game like this, because it is the only game left of the season and it's such a big handle, you're not going to get a super big edge on the spread, total money line. Player props are probably the biggest edge, depending on how much you can get down and how you model a particular player or whatever it may be. But these markets are so liquidated at this point where there really isn't any value. So that's not to say that I don't like my position on the under. I'm just not going to have as big of an edge on it as I would a regular season game or an early round playoff game, something like that. But with that said, I think both teams are going to move the ball at a slower pace, especially when you look at San Francisco dead last in the NFL and adjusted pace. And unless the 49ers pull a Todd Munkin and what, from what we saw with the Ravens a couple of weeks ago and decide to veer away from the ground game, the chiefs, Defense is most vulnerable against the run, whether you look at explosive carries allowed, which maybe you could, you know, correlate to chunk plays, but it's still going to grind the clock a little bit. And you look at EPA per carry allowed and rushing success rate, all the various rushing metrics the Chiefs struggle in. So if San Francisco can pound the rock, that correlates to, like I said, draining clock. And then Kansas City offensively, if San Francisco operates with a zone defense, which is what they predominantly do. We've seen Patrick Mahomes, even with a below-average receiving core, I guess, compared to what he's used to, even though Travis Kelsey has taken a big step in the playoffs and looking like his old self, Mahomes has had a ton of success against zone coverage. But I would expect the 49ers on two weeks of prep here to run a bit more of man, and they also are one of the better defenses when it comes to covering the middle of the field when you look at their linebackers especially the all pro Fred Warner and that is a big factor potentially in terms of stopping Travis Kelsey which is kind of the key to limiting Mahomes based off of what we've seen in these playoff games and how reliant he's been on Kelsey 
early on to kind of get into a rhythm. So, like I said, low-scoring game if both defenses project the way I expect. And if San Francisco, you would think under Shanahan, runs that gap run scheme to the fullest extent that they can and get a positive game script, then I think this goes under the total. Fade, take, or pass? kind of self-explanatory i'm going to give you a couple of our picks and you tell me if you're going to fade that take that or pass it's a new segment i just created eli feel free to use it on the lines.com <laughs> sounds like i know where you're going but my producer sam said his best bet of the game is the under in the second half 23 and a half kansas city has struggled all year to score in the second half and meanwhile their defense has been good at keeping teams from scoring a lot in the second half fade take or pass i got it take it reluctantly just because I'm not a Treads guy and I think the Chiefs are either 18 and 2, 19 and 1 when it comes to the second half under. So, Sam, I would definitely if you're a Treads person, you want to follow that one, but I'll take it like I said, it kind of sort of, but I'll if you if you're putting me on the spot, I'll go with it. And it sounds a little bit like a pass to me, Eli, just to be honest, but fade, <laughs> take or pass my best bet of the game. Brock Purdy rushing yards over 12 and a half. I'll, I will fade it just ah! because, yeah, I hate to, I, I, I like Sam's position. I'm going to, I'm going to take it overall, but yeah, this is a Chiefs defense, especially with Willie Gay healthy and he missed the AFC championship game. Keep that in mind with, I think a next stinger. He's their quarterback spy and one of their best linebackers overall, especially in coverage. So, it's not like Purdy is a Lamar Jackson kind of a playmaker on the ground, but he still has made his fair share of plays, especially going back to the NFC Championship game in the rushing department. But with Gay and in a potential positive game script, unlike against the Packers, unlike against the Lions, I would take the under. All right, last one. Fade, take, or pass. I'm doing a combo. Travis Kelsey. Taylor Swift, MVP, 14-1. to 1. Isaiah Pacheco, 25-1. to 1. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on both of those. Kelsey, obviously, for the narrative and the Swifty magic. Pacheco, because I think he has a chance of having like 90 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Fade, take, or pass. You roll with either one of those. I, I'm not going to fade the Kelsey one just because, A, it would be a fun story, even though I would have to put on – put on the earmuffs probably for the next three months, all the Taylor Swift talk we'd be hearing. I don't know if you guys are necessarily in that camp or the kind of coverage you would be getting here, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't take the no price. I mean, that would be an absurd number, but I, I think the 49ers are able to match up well, like I mentioned, over the middle of the field with Warner and Greenlaw. They do it at a very high level. Kelsey is a different beast, especially with the way he looks. He looks like he's playing in his mid-20s rather than mid-30s, but I wouldn't go Kelsey MVP. I do like your Pacheco look, especially with this game likely being a lower-scoring game, or at least that's how I project the script to go. And the Chiefs should have success on the ground. The 49ers have been vulnerable against both the Packers and Lions in that department. So if a Chief has a big game and this one winds up being of the lower-scoring variety, Pacheco is not a bad look for MVP. Hey Eli, here's a question for you. You know, because I have to believe with a, a Super Bowl, you have more people who are probably not frequent betters, ones that are you know just doing it to have a little skin in the game on that particular day because it's a you know kind of a ad hoc national holiday. 
if somebody was wanting to invest a little bit of money, take a calculated risk that if you know it, even if they lose, it's not going to be it's not going to be much of a loss. But if they win, it could be something big. And I'm thinking in terms of MVP, and I know you wrote a little bit about this on the lines. Who do you like for something like that? And is it, you know, because what we've seen in the Super Bowl from time to time, not always, but every once in a while you have somebody just kind of emerge out of nowhere as an MVP. Yeah, so two of the players that I wrote about, two players that I just touched on, Warner and Greenlaw, big, big, big numbers over at BetMGM, which is one of the legal books I believe that's available in Tennessee. And you could price shop, like I mentioned, over at thelines.com. But Warner... 200 to 1, Greenlaw 500 to 1. So very, very sprinkly kind of bets. Uh, we're talking couch money that you find in between your cushions. Right. Uh, maybe some cash that you would use on a pizza, although your listeners and viewers are probably doing just that on the time game day for the Super Bowl, whether it's for lunch, dinner, or just a snack. But uh, I like both linebackers, both kind of long shot darts as Super Bowl MVP picks if they slow down Kelsey, maybe get a pick. I mean, keep this in mind. Going back, the lowest total we've seen since this game was Super Bowl, what was it, in the last like six or seven years, mid uh, middle of the last decade with the Panthers and the Broncos, that total closed around 45, and you saw Von Miller win Super Bowl MVP. He had a big strip sack, and that was a lower-scoring game. Cam Newton and that explosive Panthers offense was held in check. Now, last year, you go back to Chiefs-Eagles, that total was 54. So you were talking about a total that was seven points higher than or around seven points higher than the market is currently sitting at for Chiefs 49ers. And Hassan Reddick closed around 25-30 to 1, the Eagles defensive end, to win Super Bowl MVP. Now you're looking at the shortest odds of a defensive player in this game with a total seven points Fewer is Joey Bosa at 45 to 1. So I definitely think, just numbers wise, value wise, just kind of correlating this to implied probability that this game is likelier to be of the lower scoring variety, especially with the conversation we had of the trend that Kansas City has been dominant when it comes to shutting down the opposition in the second half. Now, maybe you take Chris Jones or one of the Chiefs cornerbacks, Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed, if you like the narrative that Kansas City's defense comes to play in the final 30 minutes. But if San Francisco is able to shut down Kelsey and shut down this short, intermediate Chiefs passing offense that Mahomes has been pretty reliant on in the playoffs, then I think one of the Niners linebackers, like I said, I'm not talking your standard unit size bet here, but a small wager, sure, on a defense player to an MVP is worth it. Just a little sprinkle on top, just a little sprinkle. Exactly. We all need a little fun, a little sweat in our life, right? You can get any defensive player at plus 1,800, or like you said, you can sprinkle and grab a couple guys. Bosa, I'm looking right here, 80 to 1. Chris Jones, 110 to 1. Fred Warner, 140 to 1. That might be the route I go and just root for that. I might might just go defensive player and then sprinkle some of those guys. Eli, on the way out, do you have one bet or anything you want to get off your chest and get on record here? I'll give you a chance to – the floor is yours. Whatever you want. If you want to pass on the total – or if you, or excuse me, I know you got the under. If you want to pass on the side or money line, you don't have to pick there. That's fine. We're not going to make you. Just give me your best bet or anything you want to get on record before the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah, best bet under 47.5 or wait to see if it 
shifts up a little bit on game day. Kelsey under, I like too. That one's sitting around 74.5. So kind of fading your MVP pick pretty pretty much there. But He's not uh, my MVP I, pick. I was, I was just saying, you know, just the, the, the narrative. Taylor Swift. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, no, I hear you. And luckily she will be making it from Japan if anyone was concerned from her Tokyo tour. But I digress. Kelsey under, but similar to the full game under, wait to see if that one gets bet up anymore. Uh, I would expect when you see tweets about, okay, who are the most bet player props for the Super Bowl, Kelsey is definitely going to be high, if not number one on that list, just based off of Taylor Swift and all the Swifties watching that game. So Kelsey under receiving yards, maybe under receptions, if that one gets bet up a little bit as well. And then, like I said, I'm not talking best bet, but long shot defensive players are definitely worthwhile if your listeners and viewers agree with the sentiment that we get a lower scoring game. Eli Hershkovich, thelines.com. Check him out. Eli, appreciate your time as always. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it as always. Have a good weekend. Best of luck in the big game. I kind of like Kelsey, got to tell you. I didn't want to say it there. (laughs) Um, You're playing with fire if you're going against Kelsey. What I will say about that, though, is just, to me, if the Chiefs lose or if they win, it's going to be on the back of their stars. I think you've seen that in the playoffs. Right. You've seen Mahomes say, hey, I'm going to Kelsey. Kelsey's either going to make this play or he's not, but I'm throwing him the ball. So, like, I, I would be surprised if Kelsey didn't have, like, at least 10 targets in this game. Yep, I agree. Every big third down, every fourth down, I imagine he's going to be looking for Kelsey. And Fred Warner's great. Fred Warner's one of the best linebackers in the league. I get that. Maybe it's San Francisco just double-teams him, but if they're playing a zone especially, like, Kelsey's going to be able to get six or seven yards at the field, turn around, and catch the ball. So I don't necessarily love that. But you can rev up your savings at Volunteer Auto Group, your one-stop destination for quality vehicles at unbeatable prices. You can cruise through their vast selection of pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs, and they've got flexible financing options that make it easy for you to drive home today. The drive is going to be out there today from 3 to 6. Volunteer Auto Group, where every deal is a winner. 1501 Callahan Drive. You can check out their selection online at volauto.com. Again, the drive is going to be out there today from 3 to 6 at the Volunteer Auto Group. 1501 Callahan Drive. Appreciate Eli for joining us. Hope we get some winners coming out. Let's go, Eli. Let's go. We'll wrap this week up on the other side. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, last call here on the program for the week as we get you set. Final thoughts on the Super Bowl, Bob. Now or never. I like the Chiefs. Are are you being swayed by your relationship with Dustin Colquitt? (laughs) No, I, I just think that, again, I think about that two weeks ago, that Baltimore game. I was so all in on Baltimore and that's where I think I learned my lesson that just like in college in the college football regular season and with Washington I I kept 
saying they're not legit. They're not legit. They're not legit. And at some point, you got to accept the fact that they were they were legit. And so I, I feel that way with Kansas City at this point. It's like I'm I'm done betting against them. I think they I think they go and I think they take care of business and I think they win. I still don't know if I think they're legit. I just think they know how to win in the playoffs. Like, I still don't think they're the best team in the AFC. That's not legit. Well, I mean, I, still think, I, don't, I don't think they're the best team in the AFC. Uh, that's probably true. I but, I mean, like, I, 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 there was plenty of years I felt that way about the Patriots, too. Best team doesn't always win. No, I, know, I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think I thought the Patriots were the best team on, like, half of their Super Bowl wins. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, they got lucky there at home, and oh, they got lucky in the Super Bowl, and Russell Wilson threw an interception, and, man, the Falcons just completely collapsed, and I don't think they were better than them. Oh, the Ravens should have beaten them in the AFC Championship, blah, blah, blah. Lee Evans dropped the pass, and but they just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning, and like it does feel like the Chiefs feel the Chiefs feel like the Patriots to me this year. This is a Patriots type of team. Not not offensively just going to overwhelm you, but it's like we're going to beat you with our secondary, and we're going to make enough plays with our quarterback, and that's kind of how the Patriots won a bunch of Super Bowls. I couldn't help but think when Colquitt was talking about how, you know, he believes Andy Reid, you know, the way he – kind of he's such a metronome for those guys just you know focus on the business kind of saying it is what it is half times longer it's really interesting because think about Evan McPherson with the Bengals that he was out there remember how much how much uh heat there was that he was out watching the halftime show he's saying Andy Reid's like go out and watch it if you want you know it's like um I I think he's made for the moment now we were talking about him as a coach earlier all that he's learned all he's accomplished He's the steadier hand between him and Shanahan just by virtue of he's done it and he's been there more. So I think that that matters. Shanahan, two Super Bowl appearances. So, I mean, he's not necessarily a noob, yeah. a newbie to it, but I do think Brock Purdy is. And the halftime and the the process, that's something that Brady's talked a lot about. Like, hey, that's something that's changed over years, but it's also something that you've had to get used to. He's like, I kind of realized, hey, I can't really wrap myself up because – the pregame festivities are so long, halftime so long. You got to know when to get your body really going to hit your peak, and like to know when to peak in the game. And Brady talked about you know the experience and the experience in the Super Bowl so many times, kind of training him for that. Mahomes is at that point now, right? This is Mahomes' what fourth Super Bowl appearance. Yes, he understands the process of the Super Bowl. He understands when to go, when not to go. I just It's crazy because whenever I was doing talk sports, I argued all year, the Chiefs ain't got it, Chiefs ain't going to win. And now here I am on the cusp of Super Bowl Sunday, I'm kind of just like it feels inevitable. It feels like they have everything you want when it comes to winning this game. I do trust their quarterback more. I do trust their coach more. I trust their defense more too. Like no one's been able to really do anything against that secondary. And now I'm supposed to think Brock Purdy's going to do it? Really? A guy that, like, you know, basically into the fourth quarter against the Packers game looked like he was going to get benched? Looked like they were going to, like, find a new guy to, like, replace him in the offseason? A, a team that was down 24-7 to to Detroit? I'm really supposed to think they're going to be the ones, Brock Purdy's going to be the one that moves the ball against this, this Chiefs secondary? I don't know. Those comebacks have got to be just as impressive, though, too. You know, being down that much in two of those games, still well, coming back and showing that they've got the the grit kind of to get to that point. Yeah, great know? job by the gritty 49ers for the Packers field goal kicker missing a chip shot field goal. Yeah, great, I mean, great job by that. 
But I mean, yes, the Detroit one, sure. Like, you do give them credit for not falling for not falling apart and for like staying with it. And like San Francisco's legit. I don't want to act like they're a fluke. I, they're a really good team, and I they, I think they've been the best team in the NFC all year. Like they're they're worthy of being here. It's just. Like, I think the Chiefs have been just as inefficient in the playoffs. It's just that defense has been much better than the Niners. For sure. But also, like, we have more of a track record with Mahomes in these. Yeah, you do. Have we gotten your pick, Sam? I'm riding with the Chiefs, yeah. Oh. Uh, to me, it's not a— I'm actually surprised. I thought you were going to say the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels kind of like how you got, like, oh, Alabama and Nick Saban in the SEC championship this year as an underdog. Like, I'm just not going to—I'm going to take my licks if he loses, you know? Like, I'm just going to take Mahomes as an underdog and, and ride with it. If you are making a pick to actually bet on the game, ask yourself— what will you feel dumber mm-hmm. doing? Exactly. At a certain point, that's where you have to kind of right. go. That's all are it you, is. Are you going to feel dumber for picking Brock Purdy and laying points or laying minus 130? Or are you going to feel dumber for betting on Patrick Mahomes? There are very few times I'm going to feel dumb betting on Patrick Mahomes. But, boy, I'll tell you, when I let Eli convince me to take the Ravens two weeks ago, <laughs> I felt really damn dumb that time. <laughs> felt really damn dumb for thinking that Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills were going to beat Patrick Mahomes. Did I feel dumb when I took the Chiefs against the the Bucks in the Super Bowl? A little bit, because that was like betting against Tom Brady in that defense. But I was like, "Yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. What can you expect? I'm going to ride with him." That's where I'm at. I'll just I'll take the Chiefs, and maybe I feel dumb on Monday, but I promise I won't feel as dumb as if I take the 49ers and Patrick Mahomes finds a way to win a game. Bob, you on the the Chiefs as well? I'm on the Chiefs. It's a clean sweep with the morning show. We're. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Let's That'll hope, go great. <laughs> let, let, let's hope Monday morning it's uh, feel good vibes. Tennessee wins. Kansas City wins. Oh, that means the 49ers are about to win a blowout, and Eli's not going to hit his under, and we're going to go over three. Oh God. The GI Jake Show coming up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio. Have a great weekend. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well. 